I just I just want to open the whole thing now that we're live. Shout out everyone for hopping in for the mm-hmm. early portion of the program. I just want to kind of bring up Eli Apple is quite possibly the most toxic, worst starting player in the <laughs> NFL. Like this is a man that gave up a bomb touchdown because Demarcus Robinson, I faked him. Uh, it got burned. And then Huntley beat him for a touchdown. And then he kind of sort of maybe had like an okay game. And then now he's just like dominating on Twitter. Um, yeah. It's phenomenal to watch him get burned by everyone in his comment section. The DeMar Hamlin thing was wild. Like, I can't believe he posted that. That was just. Yeah, I, I'm sure that was just. I, I want to give the guy benefit of a doubt. And Wait, what did he was... tweet about DeMar Hamlin? I, I he, he was, he was trash he put... talking digs and threw up the, the hard hands. Yeah, he and posted. Everyone was like. He put Cancun on, ha- on DeMar and put the hands, his fucking hand signal and shit. Wow. On a quote tweet of Diggs and uh, Allen, I was just like, "This guy, like, he is the most lovable, hated person." I feel like in the NFL for a guy that just continuously gets cooked, but is just on a really good team. It's phenomenal. Speaking of somebody who's really bad but on a really good football team, Brock Purdy. Uh, let's talk about the rise of the new Tom Brady uh, in people's eyes. The man sending Jimmy Garoppolo out of the city and that will usurp Trey Lance next year, even though there's already beat reporters saying if Jimmy G is healthy for this next game, uh, there's a shot. He starts over him, uh, which I find it uh, hilarious, but I just want to hear before I start rattling random shit off. I want to hear from you guys that people want to hear from you guys. Where do you stand on this Brock Purdy is the truth stuff? I mean, uh, we we can jump on calling him the truth all we want, but I mean, I feel like we haven't seen a lot from him that showed like any of the, the crazy attributes we want to assign to any one of the other elite quarterbacks. I mean, he's managing games very well. He is not making a lot of horrible decisions that are costing the team. Like they're they're winning and not losing. And it's almost like Brock Purdy isn't even a part of the, the conversation. Like right. it, it feels like that team is so well-oiled that just about anyone who isn't turning the ball over can play quarterback for the 49ers That's and they can make a like. deep playoff run. I mean, I'll probably talk a little bit more about my thoughts on Purdy as it pertains to Lance and prognostications about the future and stuff later. I think we're going to have a whole segment on that. But maybe the one thing I'll just say off the top is that I'm just very frustrated with how we discuss turnovers in relation to quarterback analysis and how we discuss quarterback analysis generally these days. Like, there are the tenor of quarterback argument, and I think it's perfectly encapsulated by this whole idea of how we're now treating each game between good quarterbacks as referendums on who is better. You know, we just did yep. it with Burrow out. Okay. Now, now Burrow is better than Allen. It's indisputable this week. Burrow plays Mahomes. Whoever wins, that's the best quarterback in the end. Like it's like this weird, almost wrestling like um, <laughs> style where it's like whoever walks onto the field comes in with a win, you know, they get the belt now and they get to wear the belt until a challenger defeats them. It's just frustrating to me. 
it's frustrating when we understand, I think somewhere, at least deep down, I feel like everybody understands that these games are highly variant, that they're <laughs> highly decided by a specific number of plays, who catches a ball, who drops the ball, who fumbles a ball, who happens to play better on a particular day, whether that's reflective of their career or not, how much, how they actually play actually translates to the results of a particular drive, a particular anything. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it frustrates me. So um, yeah, it, point being, um, I think that the whole notion around Purdy, if he wins, he doesn't turn it over, you know, and, and part of descriptions of variance, I, I just would prefer us to have our quarterback discussions centered more around, you know, what does this actually do on a guy do on a play-by-play basis? And not everybody has to do it in the same way. There can be people who are more statistically focused. They can talk about uh, EPA. They can talk about CPOE. They can talk about the issues with those stats. They can talk about the strengths of those stats. There can be people who can be talking about it from a film perspective. You know, I like this guy's traits. I don't like this guy's traits, etc. I just wish we would not have to engage in these silly straw man arguments yep. where every time you try to say anything about a quarterback that isn't directly tied to the win-loss record in the most recent sample, it's met with, yeah, but this, yeah, but this. And it's often met with a counting stat or a win-loss stat, and it, it frustrates me immensely. It, it feels very similar to the MVP argument. Like mm. uh, a lot of times it feels very easy for us to all go, yeah, it's it's Hurts or it's someone else or it's someone else. But, I mean, if we took – Mahomes and put him on like it, it feels very easy to talk all this like excitement around certain players um but like the the level of talent we know that a lot of the guys that Purdy is kind of getting a discussion bounced around with right now like talking about Purdy versus I mean Dak this last week like the 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 level of kind of discussion in counting stats versus, I mean, it, it always kind of comes down to wins above replacement. Like I'm pretty sure if we took most quarterbacks in the NFL and put them on that 49ers offense, they'd be sitting in a pretty similar position. Like we, we can be all excited about Purdy and the fact that he's a, you know, Mr. Relevant, he's coming back and, you know, leading this team to the Super Bowl. But I, yeah. I wish we could enjoy it. I wish we could enjoy this Purdy magic without being like, well, Tom Brady was a sixth round pick and Purdy's coming in doing the same thing. And, and fucking, I I saw Peyton Manning struggle as a rookie. Purdy's not struggling. So that, that means, you know, he's the truth. I'm going to draft him. I've seen him in like the seventh round of super flex startups. And let's, I just want to, this is why I think playing a wide receiver in your super flex spot is better than party. I just want to run through a couple of things. This is January uh, dynasty league football, super flex ADP QB 25. Here are some players going around Brock Purdy According to DLF.com. Uh, he's going right beside uh, Bateman, Keenan Allen, Gabe Davis, Juju Smith Schuster, AJ Dillon, Kadarius, Tony. Okay, a lot of those guys. I think that's you can fine. Just, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can just. Plot I don't have an issue with players. it. I, I, let me just. You can plop a lot of those players in your super flex spot, and week to week, uh, probably be pretty okay. Uh, he's going right above Jimmy Garoppolo, which sure, 
He does have a 94th percentile breakout age. He did break out in college, but he was pretty good. He had a 12.3 points per game. Uh, he's passing for 152 passing yards per game. This is not including the playoffs. He has 16 money throws, but on the other side, has 17 danger throws. So it's not like he's, you know, perfect. He only has 13 touchdowns. He's playing at a point two, uh, 2.02 uh expected fantasy points uh, per game above what he should be at, which is 10.25. And he has a plus 54.2 EPA. He has been okay. The biggest problem is this level of okay enough to dethrone a player that has, has been invested in as much as a guy like Trey Lance's. And that's the question. Sure, maybe he pushes Jimmy Garoppolo's contract out of San Francisco. I think we can pretty much lock that in. They don't need him there. The declaration that it is a foregone conclusion that Purdy is the one moving forward and they'll just move off of Lance for whatever they can get, just based on some statistics that we look at for quarterbacks, is asinine to me and and horrific process. So. I- I'll, I'll say this about Purdy, and I'll say the same that I'd say about Lance, is I, I think that both of these guys are going to start NFL games in future years because I think people are too focused on the micro of who will the 49ers name the week one starter. And, yep. I mean, that's a consideration. I, I guess the way I would look at it is, like, I don't know how – Kyle Shanahan, brilliant offensive coordinator, obviously been a successful head coach for the most part – I, I do not. I will not and cannot pretend to understand the machinations of his mind that come to what he's going to do with his positions on a weekly basis. I'm not even saying that they're good or they're bad or they're whatever. I'm just saying that he's unpredictable. <laughs> so yes. I, I'm not going to sit here and, and promise anyone who's going to start week one between Trey Lance or Brock Purdy. I, I would not be particularly shocking in my mind if it's either one of those options. I feel it would like... be particularly shocking at this point to me if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Tom Brady. But between Lance or Purdy, both seem pretty possible. I, what I would say is, Either way, we, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this plenty. At least I have, I think we all have. The quarterback landscape around the league is not good. Many of these veteran quarterbacks that are being tossed around, there's no salary middle ground anymore, right? People are looking at the prospect of either paying a car or trading for a Cousins or trading for a Rogers, trading for older quarterbacks on big contracts that they don't have a ton of um, confidence are going to be able to bring them to where they need to go. And then you add in the idea, I don't know why I went blurry for a second, but I'll fix that after <laughs> this point. Um, you know, you look at a Purdy or a Lance, look, we can, I don't know how good Brock Purdy's going to be or how good he really is now, but he's clearly showing some level of competency and he's a rookie. And so maybe he ends up improving even further. Maybe he's able to sustain this. I'm not sure. Look at Trey Lance. Who the hell knows what Trey Lance is? He's played three games, rookie, high pedigree, came out of a small school. I don't know. My point is, is that whoever the 49ers choose to not play, I just think from a economics of the market perspective, some team is going to look at their alternatives, you know, and they're going to say, man, I'd prefer to have one of those guys and I'd pay a little something for it. And at some point, the 49ers would prefer to be paid for whoever they aren't playing than whoever they are playing. And so to me, I think it's reasonable if you look at the NFL market and compare that to fantasy where quarterbacks are going to be in demand and are going to be a scarce resource. You know, I, I don't really mind making a, a bet on, on Brock Purdy from a dynasty perspective or bet, making a bet on Trey Lance from a dynasty perspective. And I don't think that it's as all or nothing 
as it may seem to be, because I think that even if one of these guys is stuck being the backup for the 49ers in week one, you know, the world, the world keeps turning and eventually one of those guys can end up as a starter somewhere else and it might not work. And even if it doesn't work, they might end up as a starter somewhere else again. And, and I don't think it's bad to just want to take shots on some of these magic carpet rides in a number of different places. Now I'm going to fix my camera, let you guys do whatever you want to say. I, yeah. My, my only issue with that is like, okay, if you want to say like, let's take a look at some, some valuable players, like I said, going in that range, I wouldn't sit there in a super flex league and advise somebody to trade Rashad Bateman for Brock Purdy right now, straight up. I don't, there's no way I would do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell somebody that they should be going and trading Keenan Allen for Brock Purdy straight up. Not right now. There's, there's no, it's too early in the off season for me to do that, especially if you do want to go narrative driven, which I know is not something you want to like put real stock into, but it's, it's not nothing that there is even any conversation that Jimmy Garoppolo could go. Like you want undeniable one because it was Brock Purdy, unless there's a huge leap from Trey Lance is the 2023 49ers starter. And it was the next day they're like, Jimmy Garoppolo could start if healthy. I'm not, if he was, if you can get him for cheap because somebody just wants to capitalize and you want to get him for like a third round pick, I think that's fine to take a shot off at the end of your bench. But I've I've seen Nick Mullins before, um, and 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 I don't want to pay and invest high cap any mid range even high cap, like a, a mid round second round pick. No way, I'm not. I, I just wouldn't do that. I mean, mid, mid second round pick for a quarterback who has a reasonable chance to be an intentional team starter every day. I just don't. I just yeah, don't think I'm, he's I'm good. Jacob on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't care if he's good or not. To be honest, that's not my point. I, like I, I'm as I'm going to be on the anti Purdy side from the spectrum of Purdy takes as a football player. But from the spectrum of what I pay a mid-second round pick to get a guy who I think has a pretty reasonable chance to be a team starter, whether it's San Francisco or otherwise, would I pay a wide receiver who I know is either well into decline or unlikely to be particularly relevant from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'll, okay. I'll, I would rather have Brock Purdy than Rashad Bateman in Dynasty. I'll stand by that. Yeah, I, I think I'm on a similar side okay. to that. I, I, I wouldn't but. like the, the way I look at it is either both of these guys are going to be starting n- next year or in a position to start, in which case you can probably mm. at worst recap that middle two. Um, or we're looking at both of them are on the team. One player is announced as a starter next year. And every time there is any kind of mishap, any kind of, bad game, which we know there's going to be because it's going to be Trey Lance or Brock Purdy. Everything on Twitter is going to be clamoring from some guy to start. And then yeah, you're going to recap Twitter. your your second round value. Like it, the, the legitimate way, if I had to put money down on how I see this situation going, is Trey Lance is starting week one and he is on a thin leash because Brock Purdy has led them to a strong playoff push. And reasonably, I think, you know, they, they're going to be going on their third year of Lance. They haven't recouped any kind of value. I mean, they – and the 49ers are a team that is ready to win. So mm. if they have a player right now who came in and led them to a conference championship, why would they opt to play Lance over Purdy when – I mean, the combined cost of those two anyway was the price of Lance. Like they they paid a late seventh for Purdy, the latest seventh. 
Sure. So okay. I, it, I, I think that's fine. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see how this progresses because I'm on the opposite side of uh, you two on, on where I want to pay for somebody like Purdy. So I think and I want to, I want to be very clear for the record so that however this off season evolves, that there's no retrofitting this take being like, Oh, Jacob loved Brock Purdy. I do not I love Brock I, Purdy. I can't wait to cut uh, that. In any way, I do not love Brock Purdy. I don't think he's a particularly great quarterback, but what more would I want to spend in a rookie draft with a mid-second anyway than a quarterback with a reasonable chance to start? I mean, that's what I'm. That's half the time what I'm going to be drafting exactly in that rookie draft is insert round two, round three rookie pick where, I don't know, he might get a chance, he might not get a chance. Like, to me, that's a reasonable yeah. bet there. I mean, I want to be emphasizing – I want to be emphasizing scarce positions in Dynasty. Quarterback, of course, is the most scarce position. Would I rather take a more expensive bet that has maybe even more risk on Trey Lance because I think he has the potential to be a higher ceiling fantasy contributor. Yes. That's the bet that I'm more, uh, more aggressive with at cost right now, even at a higher cost, but I'm still doing with Purdy. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not overly concerned about missing out on whatever the alternative bet is by having this quarterback bet go to zero with that alternative. Most cases is a fairly inconsequential wide receiver. Oh, um, okay. I Jacob, I, I loved what you just said there because we watched a lot of quarterbacks this last year that had no interest in them really in the draft. I mean, we watched Malik Willis fall. We watched Desmond Ritter fall. And still, when you sat there in the rookie drafts, both of them were going as mid-second round picks. Matt Corral even was crawling in there as a mid to late second round pick. So, mm -hmm. I mean, in that situation, we that was how those players were valued as quarterbacks. And now we take the same exact situation where we have a player who has an outside chance to start um, and who is going to have a legitimate training camp competition. The only difference is we now know that this guy produced in college was a late round draft pick and led them to a conference championship. Like at, at that point, I, I would view them him at least as late as where we took Willis and Ritter this year. And the, the payoff on that might be the same. It okay. might end up being the same, let, but let you know, me, I would say a late second for right now. And who is worth a late second in his rookie draft. And obviously, you know, he could have done better things with it the whole meantime, but who I bet will be worth a mid-second to come week one this year, Jordan Love. That guy's going to start week one for the Green Bay Packers he's, this year. And that's the worst-case scenario for a rookie pick is you take the guy in the late two, and he doesn't start for, what, three years? Look, would you have been better off taking any most other bets there that went up in price at some point? Absolutely at the time. But you still have this guy where unlike a lot of, you know, let's look at a guy like it. Who are some of the alternatives, right? The Anthony McFarlands, the Josh Kellys, ah, uh, the Brian Edwardses, like other guys going in that range from rookie draft time. Look, would you have rather bet on Antonio Gibson? Obviously. Would you have rather bet on Chase Claypool? Obviously. Those guys value went way up sure. way faster. But in terms of a floor, the thing is, like, if you're just sticking these quarterbacks onto your roster, you have a reasonable chance to start one day, even if the bet goes poorly, it doesn't always go poorly permanently. There's always chances for these guys to spring up once again. And you never know. Maybe if you hold for nine years, you'll get Geno Smith. <laughs> or Mario. Look, like... Hold on. I just I just went to DynastyLeagueFootball.com and I typed it in positional ADP 
for January. This is the updated. Now, I said that Brock Purdy was getting drafted, what, QB 25? Let me re-ask you that at DLF's January 2023 ADP of quarterback 17. Like, where do you draw the line here? Oh, if you're going to ask me, here's the thing, right? Or you're saying Purdy or a bunch of wide receivers. And I was like, Purdy. Now, if you're going to ask me Purdy versus a bunch of quarterbacks, I'll probably say the other quarterbacks. If you ask me any of those quarterbacks versus those wide receivers, I bet I'm going to say the quarterback. That's fair. But so we're going QB 25 or QB freaking 17. I just think it's getting a little out of hand. Um, I I mean, we're we're pretty much in the show now. Like, um, have a system. It really is at this point where what what's your play? Are you taking Purdy? Are you taking some of these guys later later down in the picks that were just? I mean, at what point do we just say he's an upside versus floor talent compared to some of these guys who are in the sure. middle who are more consistent like that? That's this is the age-old discussion. Yeah, Purdy has that potential where if he connects with that team, he can push up and probably push to be a low-end QB1, like kind of sit in that not-as-efficient Rodgers range. Like, if that's what he is, fuck yeah, give me him at the QB17. But, I mean, what? Please, Tom, you have it in front of you. What are the QBs that we're talking about in that range? Uh, well, I will tell you, Daniel Jones is QB 15, uh, Kenny Pickett 16, Jared got, I'm, uh, so this is, this is tough because I'm using Adeko's not updated January one. Uh, so QB 24 in this one, he's going right ahead of Aaron Rodgers, right around Matthew Stafford, right beside Geno Smith, Derek Carr, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, like I, w- yeah, I would I'll rather take have Gino those- Carr. I'll take yeah. Gino Carr, Russ, all those guys for sure. That's what I'm saying. So but I guess my point is 20... I'm taking all those guys higher than these. Like these are all guys so that I want at, to target in this. Match. I just want to be betting I, on quarterbacks. In this I'm fine with gambling at QB 25, QB 17. I think you lost me. I think you jumped the shark at like 17, 16, 18. I, I, that's just my opinion. I can't wait to keep it going. This Purdy thing isn't going anywhere. Uh, I, I think it's going to be an interesting off season to talk about it. Uh, time and time again. Look, we went a little longer in the bonus than we wanted to, but the conversation was great, and that's what we love to see. Uh, Sit tight. We're going to get this thing uh, rocking for everyone else. What is going on, everybody? This is episode 199 of the Full Tilt Podcast Network. This is the flagship program, the one that started it all. This is the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast. We are presented by the Fantasy Points Media Group, 
And we're also powered by Underdog Fantasy. We have the best of both worlds from best ball to everything you need all in a one-stop shop at fantasypoints.com where you can head there until the end of the Super Bowl and get 30% off your 2023 subscriptions. This is a great deal. This is an early bird deal. Let me tell you, you won't be disappointed. Phenomenal content that that pops out of there daily. It's truly phenomenal. Guests, uh, Scott Barrett, uh, who is on our program, writes for them he's just a truly phenomenal individual his work is top tier you don't want to miss out on that joining me as always is of course uh at jacob sanderson and of course one of the smartest people on the planet that is at big billy ff i of course and your host with the most time in his hands thomas simple ff look the podcast people we have included you on the bonus this time it was a almost 20 minute long bonus talking about brock purdy which is what you heard at the beginning we will not always have that kind (laughs) we will not always have that bonus available to you on the podcast you will want to go over to youtube hit the subscribe button especially hit the notification button that way you can stay dialed in get the live video feed you can rewatch it after if you can't make it and that's where you will get that bonus nine times out of ten we just wanted you know give you a little sample uh this week today what a banger of a show. Look, if you're looking for – look, we know Bill O'Brien went to the Patriots. We know that you know some people are talking about pay cuts and whatnot. There's news out there, Eli Apple getting cooked on Twitter. Like there's news and stuff, but there's 572,321 shows, articles, podcasts, etc. to get that info. That's not what we're here for. Gentlemen, we are here to talk about some of the most important dynasty conversations uh, that exist. That includes – Calvin Ridley, the curious case of Calvin Ridley. Uh, we are going to talk about how to value mid first rookie picks. Cause we all feel like this year it feels a little bit weird. Uh, we're going to talk about Tony Pollard's injury because I watched uh, uh, Jacob go at it on Twitter about the conundrum of Pollard being a sell now that he's been hurt, etc. And I love that conversation, so we're going to bring it to you guys. I was skimming the Twitter streets, and you know some other stuff. We get some time. We'll see. What, we'll see what the time's like. But gentlemen, I'm ready. I hope you guys are ready. I also want to note that the ADP information is going to vary here when we're talking about. Full draft with rookie picks. We are using Adaiko's. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, like his his ADP model, which is phenomenal. But that's the best information I can find with rookie picks involved. It's not updated for January. I'm also going to reference some DLF stuff for positional ADP. So before anyone gets like confused in what we're talking about, those are the differences in ADP, and we will mention it so nothing gets like lost and too confusing. I hope I'm going to try to be as concise as I know how to be, uh, because I'm not as a uh, genius like the other two guys here. I got to, I got to really work at my concise, um, uh, conciseness. If that's a word, I don't know. All right, guys, let's talk about Calvin Ridley. I think that's a great place to start. Uh, Jacob, you love Calvin Ridley. Uh, when we mentioned that Billy, I'm not hundred percent sure what your feelings are on Calvin Ridley. I have posted quite a bit about Calvin Ridley because I saw someone trade multiple future first round picks. I have seen people trade multiple, Uh, In the same trade, like multiple startup picks to move up to the fifth round to draft Calvin Ridley, and I I shit myself. Uh, I almost fell over because I think that's insane. So let's talk about it. Calvin Ridley, I want to start with you, Jacob, because you like him. Why? I'm going to go over some of the statistics. Oh, my God. Statistics and stuff in a bit. 
Why do you like Calvin Ridley specifically? And is it just about cost? Well, it's always just about cost with every player um, because whether I like a player in a vacuum is always relevant to their cost, unless you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. Um, (laughs) Him, I suppose I like at any cost, but uh, with Cal, with Calvin Ridley in particular, uh, with Calvin Ridley in particular, I do like at cost where his ADP was as of January 18th was 8.1. I was able to get him in both of the startups that I did in January, which of course is anecdotal, but I actually took him ahead of ADP in both. I, I got him at the 7.1 in one and the 7.9 in the other. So that's certainly attainable um, in several. I expect that he is someone that whose ADP will probably climb over the course of the offseason. Uh, you know, you mentioned anecdotally some people who are clearly valuing him above his ADP. That doesn't oh, yeah. really surprise me. You know, he's the type of guy, too, who I think, you know, you're going to have to, on occasion, overpay for in startups or in trades um, versus where he sits in a market aggregation, right? This is a general theory of anyone who is really highly variant in the sense that, you know, either they're injured or we don't have a big sample on them or right. there's other off-field concerns, what have you, you're going to have probably a wider net in terms of where people value him than you will with most people. And that shows up where you're going to have a wider, you're going to probably have him higher in metrics where it comes down to how high one person values him than yes. an average of the market. Because, right, Devonta Smith, everybody wants to some degree, right? Everybody thinks he's good. He's young. He fits every build. There's not going to be a very wide range. You know, people are going to have wide receiver 12, wide receiver 15, wide receiver 20, whatever. With Calvin Ridley, you go into any league, Half the league's going to be like, yeah, no thanks. He hasn't played in two years, not interested. You know, and then there's going to be some people will be like, yeah, I take a cheap stab. And some people will be full on truth or mode. He's going to be right back to 2020, right? So you're going to see that. Yes. Spread. But in general, you know, at that specific cost where I mentioned round seven, round eight, he's primarily going with those wide receivers that I talked about in the bonus section that I'm not super, super interested in, right? Uh, he t- tends to be going with, you know, quarterbacks that i am interested in uh he tends to be going with sort of running backs that are very fragile right and so when it comes down to it i look at ridley as a guy where he was tracking you know in 2020 and frankly in the early parts of 2021 if you look at his peripherals right not as much in his actual points per game but in yeah. terms of target share area chair all that stuff as a guy who was an elite top 10 dynasty wide receiver that's where he was at is he still that guy? I don't know, but you're certainly not paying as though he is that guy because when you consider that his quarterback's Trevor Lawrence, when you consider where his peripherals were, if we just take the assumption, right? If we say, okay, one of the possible paths for Calvin Ridley, that he comes back and within a fairly short period of time, he's the guy that he was in 2020 and early 2021 before he left off. We probably value him pretty similar based on age, production, et cetera, to like a Stefan Diggs, who's still going commonly in round three, round four. That's what he was. That's where he would be valued. Maybe that's not his assumption anymore, right? Okay, so what percentage chance that that's not the case versus what percentage is his cost reduced, right? That's really what it comes down to me. And the big thing that it comes down to me is that I look at startup ADP boards right now in terms of guys that I have legitimate fear of missing out on with exception of rookie picks, you know, where there's always a wide range. Mostly extends about three rounds or so. (laughs) Once you get past Mm. the fourth, I don't really have much fear of missing out on certain guys. So, you know, is Calvin Ridley 
a particularly safe bet to be the fourth best player in his round, the fifth best player, sixth best player, probably not. I think he has a pretty reasonable shot of being the best and a, probably a pretty reasonable shot of being the worst. But in terms of when we get into these discussions where most of the opportunity costs, where you don't have the elite quarterbacks anymore, you don't have the elite tight ends anymore, you don't have the elite running backs anymore, it's mid-second-round rookie picks, early-second-round rookie picks, uh, you know, and other guys, running backs, wide receivers, we doubt are going to make a whole lot of difference. I'm just shooting for the moon in terms of production, and, and I think that there's a scenario where Ridley provides that more than there is for a lot of the other options. See, and I think that's fine. I, and I, I said in all of my arguments that his, at his ADP, which at the time was wide receiver 31, was totally fine with me. Christian Kirk was going at wide receiver 30. I like Christian Kirk. I take Christian Kirk over him uh, at that point. Sure. And I think that that was fine. My issue is, is that the conversation I feel around him, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is a little bit, uh, uh, just because of my own personal circle where I've just seen he's a guaranteed lock for that 140 target, 150 target situation like he was in Atlanta, not realizing how target funneled Atlanta was. The fact that Kirk, Ingram, and Zay Jones, this isn't even including Marvin Jones, a uh, pretty decent amount of targets. Just on those three, which we expect Ingram to re-sign, accounted for 352 of Trevor Lawrence's targets last year. Those three alone accounted for 60% of his targets. And they're all under contract, sans Ingram, who's already talking about coming back. That's a hell of a lot of targets. Where are we going to add 140, 130 targets to Calvin Ridley just on top of that? Even if you skim, let's say, 6%, 4% of targets off each one of those guys, and tally, is Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball 650 times, 625 times next year? Maybe, but that's that's one thing in his way. And then you look at some of the other things with Calvin Ridley, even when he was the top. I remember I was low on Ridley too, like two years ago when we started talking about this. I had an issue with his like top 10 status in 2021. But I want to talk about it a little bit before I pass it on to Billy. Okay, so we have one full season where Calvin Ridley has had a 25% target share. One season, 2021, he only played five games. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. Uh, he has one season above 15 points per game. He has one season as a top 12 wide receiver in points per game, where he was actually the uh, wide receiver five. He had 18.8 points per game, more than A.J. Brown this year, if I'm not mistaken. Awesome. But 2021 was still disappointing. People forget that, yes, his target share was good in 2021, but Calvin Ridley's first five games, we were disappointed because of where he got drafted. And he started the season with me as though it applies to me. I, I, hey, Cal- I, I rocketed Calvin Ridley out my rankings that season. Because I mean, as, better than they'd ever been. as we, when I say we, I mean a community. Okay. General disappointment uh, with, with Calvin Ridley, 10.1 points in week one. Then he had 19.3 in week two, pretty good. Then he went right back to his career averages of 14.1, 15 and 12.6 to end his 2021 season. Right now, to me, it looks like 2020 was the outlier. Uh, Just based on his points per game, from what we have seen from him in the other three years, for most players, when we look at of if you want to give him the target share for 2021, let's do the whole thing. In his four years, when we see one extreme outlier of a season, what do we talk about? That it was an outlier. So now his situation has changed. His target competition has changed. He's been out for a while. Uh, which does matter. He has a different coaching uh, staff. 
Like there's so many things that do have to break right for him. In my opinion, if you look at his career peripherals, uh, the outlier that was 2020, or at least the, what appears to be an outlier in 2020. Can you guess as to where he ranked in expected fantasy points per game in 2021? Uh, he was playing Among significantly. He was playing significantly under as expected. I know that. Um, he ranked first. He was wide receiver one overall in expected sure. fantasy points per game in 2021. That's phenomenal, but it still didn't. You know, expected fantasy points are great to a point, but like, I just it's, okay. It's still I, not, I just. So I just don't I'm, give I don't give the slightest fuck about his actual fantasy points in 2021, to be honest. So I don't look at 2020 as an outlier. Like I I of all the things I could look at, I'm not even looking at his actual points. What? Like I to me it's I look at a guy who was pretty good as a rookie, was okay as a sophomore, and then got really good in third year and was looking to be even better in fourth year. Um, I, you know, mm. the fact that he was on the wrong side of the variance in the fourth year holds zero sway with me. Uh, I I I think that if you're saying, okay, look at the four years, to me, that would make sense if he, if it was, you know, reverse where his target share was 25% in year two, 27% year three, went down to 17% in year four. But when I look at it, his, his peripherals, his target share, his targets per route run, his area yard share, it goes up, up, up every single year. I agree. I, I, I'm with, I'm 100% with you on that. Now factor in the fact that a situation is different. The target competition is more is is way more rough for him now than it was in Atlanta. Uh, uh, the system that he's running into. I, yeah, I really, where's Julio sure. Jones on the Jaguars? Twenty twenty one Julio Jones. Twenty twenty Julio Jones. If you want. Twenty twenty Julio Jones was injured for a lot of and, that and season. Twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. But that's when Calvin Ridley broke out. Was the right. year that but in Jones was mostly done. In twenty twenty, Julio Jones was still a wide receiver one. I don't think that was true. No, it is true. In 2020, 16.2 Julio points per game. Yes. That's 14. Right. All right. I'll let it slide. Right. But the dynamic of that team was different because Cal, uh, Calvin really took over when Julio Jones was out. Okay. Awesome. He got a ton of opportunity at that point. He was the guy. There wasn't a whole lot around that Atlanta offense. That's what we loved about that offense when Calvin Ridley was the dude. These players that are in Jacksonville don't suck. Like these players don't suck. Christian oh, Kirk is a very good player. Zay, good. Jo- Zay Jones is more than capable of oh, having a hundred targets again. I will tell you that Zay Jones is on the roster. He has a hundred targets this year. Okay, I'll Evan, bet on that. Evan yeah, Ingram, that he's gonna have well over a hundred targets this year, given what he did okay, this year and how good he is. So you've got hundred and thirty targets, a hundred some targets, another hundred and some can targets. I, and can I bet the under on Zay and Ingram? A bet under the 100? under on the, yeah, sure we'll go like with all, that. like I mean these guys it, are secondary players like we have I, I I'm just I don't I just don't get why we would start the target distribution with inferior players like I I'll, I get I get Kirk Kirk is good because we as don't good as know Kirk what is, as good as Kirk is we saw Kirk beside DeAndre Hopkins getting not a whole lot of targets right so it's not like Kirk is incapable of being beat out by superior players. Evan Ingram earns a steady diet of targets, whatever. What was that? Evan Ingram's target share th- this year, even? Um, it wasn't astronomically high. It was fine. He was 17%. I can get that. Okay. okay. 17% target share this year. Okay. Good for him. Um, Zay Jones. I mean, Zay Jones has been a player who has been reasonable when he's been given opportunity. He's consistently been pushed aside. I mean, I, I see Zay Jones and Evan Ingram as guys were garbling up a target vacuum this year because there were not a lot of great players on this team. 
that will no longer be there because of the presence of a vastly improved alpha and Calvin Ridley. Christian Kirk, I think, is a highly qualified beta. And then the other guys are kind of the other guys. Like, I, I like Engram. I've always had a soft spot for Engram. I think he'll figure into the offense. I think Zay Jones is disappearing. So he might be there and he might be running the routes. But, like, I mean, Marvin Jones this year was running all the routes and he wasn't getting any of the targets. I see Zay Jones having a very Marvin-like uh, 2022. Sure. Um, see, he's good enough to earn targets to the point where he has more seasons of 100 targets than Calvin Ridley. Like he's not. I don't. I just don't think he's he's disappearing. I I don't think that that he's just walking off, especially after a layoff. What I'm saying is, as a whole picture, there are quite a few things in Calvin Ridley's way that we are just assuming uh, you, uh, all ch- all change for him. The the more and, seasons of a hundred targets kind of buries the lead I, on the fact those sandwiched forty six, twenty, and seventy still happen. Calvin Ridley Meanwhile, was supposed to be the dude. Yeah, I know, man, but a I'm little bit saying, of context on that happened. stat. Meanwhile, Ridley's were 92, 93, yeah, and 100. The CNN fact checker would say that's technically true, but grossly misleading. Yeah, that was a that was a rough one. Look. I, I, it's there. That's all I need. But sure, it, it, you're right. There's, but can, In terms of binary, that is true. There's, that at is. Least, there's at least something to be said that for Calvin Ridley to be that 2020 dude, and not the rest of his career average, a lot of stuff has to break right for him in 2023. I don't think that's far off to say. I mean, that's I why I said his ADP than, is I think a lot less than you do. I think to me it comes down to how good is Calvin Ridley in 2023. To me, if he's as, if he's as good as – like if, if he never had any of this stuff happen and he was just traded in the middle of the 2021 season to the Jacksonville Jaguars – and we just pretend that at that time, the Jacksonville Jaguars had what they have now, Trevor Lawrence, Kirk, mm-hmm. Engram, Zay Jones, or whatever, I would have absolutely zero concerns about his ability to usurp Zay Jones on the target tree. That would not be a concern for me. I would start my target distribution by looking at the historical target distributions of the players, which would lead to me prioritizing Ridley first, Kirk second, and then seeing what's left for the rest. In terms of will he get that, to me it comes down to is Ridley still that guy? If he's the guy that he was in 2020 and 2021, then I don't have a, much of a concern about Zay Jones or the or Evan Ingram or these other issues. To me the concern is how good is he? And I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's not that guy anymore. That's entirely possible. And if he's not that guy anymore, then, you know, sure, maybe he'll just be keeping up with the Joneses. But if he's Calvin Ridley – then I'm not concerned. It's just if he's, you know, Ralvin Kidley or somebody now that's that's drastically right. reduced in terms of his talent level. I'm not sure about that. What was his brother's name? His brother's know. in the league too. Riley oh, is, that, is, is that not Steve? Is that Riley Ridley? Yeah, Riley. Yeah, I want to say it's Riley Ridley. Um, if, he's Riley, if he's Riley Ridley, won't be a concern. Yeah. So I, I'm going to jump in here because obviously you two are a lot more passionate on the Ridley side of this debate. And I just want I, to preface that I said that I like him at ADP. Like uh, that ADP is fine. It's the expectations that he's guaranteed to be 2020 Ridley that really set me off. I, which, whatever. I I don't think that's a that's a huge deal. I think 20. So here here's my middle of the road boring ass take that we're I'm gonna get booed because I'm the boring person at the park. The Billy special. The Billy special. I don't think it matters. And I don't think it matters for a couple different aspects. One, I don't think it matters in terms of his ADP. Because Ridley right now is going in 
the most boring range of wide receivers where you're out of that range of elite guys where you're really excited about. I was talking about this last week when I said there is a teardrop at wide receiver 12 or 13 or whatever it was. And then after that, every guy is the same guy until wide receiver 40. Like there is so much replaceable talent in this range of wide receiver that honestly, I'm going to say, pick your favorite. If you like Ridley, I think you should absolutely draft Ridley. And I'm going to go into the season with my favorites. Y'all are going to go into the season with your favorites. But in that range of wide receiver, you're just picking who you like more between a bunch of guys Mm -hmm. that are very, very similar. So Mm -hmm. whether you want to rank Ridley as wide receiver 17 or wide receiver 40, I'm not going to have a strong take either way, specifically at the wide receiver position. What I do want to harp on more and why I think Ridley is going to have a good season is specifically the fact that I don't think Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram brace for this are that important to players. I I think they're completely fine. I think they're decent players. They're NFL talent. Obviously they're, they're above average players at their position. I think that's pretty easy to say, but did we just forget what this off season was where we all were sitting here going, well, fucking the, the Jaguars really armed up Lawrence. They got him Kirk. They got him Zay Jones, the guy that caught that walk-off. Oh, Evan Ingram, that's kind of fun. At least they can dump off passes to him. I don't think these Jaguars pass catchers are the guys that, if you put them on other teams, they're getting the 120 targets every year. And we can play that game because we saw them on other teams and they weren't those guys, except for Zay Jones, 102 target season, which sure. Um, I think so much more of this argument and what this Jaguars team is, is based on the man that's throwing the ball. I think Trevor Lawrence is a lot better than who he looked like in his rookie year. I think he's as good, if not significantly better than what he looked like in his sophomore year. And now we're looking at a situation where we're almost getting the diet version of the Bengals, where I don't care who the player is. I care about the helmet because I think the Jaguars are going to be one of the more dynamic offenses moving forward. They're a team that legitimately is going to push to put up mid 20 to 30 points per game because they have so much talent on their offense. They have a beatable defense. So really I'm more than happy to take the guy that even if Ridley catches 90, even if he has 800 yards this year, Mm -hmm. I was going to do that. next. I, I would be more than happy to bet on Ridley over seven touchdowns, over eight touchdowns. Zay Jones this year, I'm pretty sure was like top 10 in red zone targets. I don't think Zay Jones is going to be that guy getting those targets next year. I'd put a lot more money on that going towards Ridley. I I am so much more confident in Ridley being a strong, consistent talent. And I, I think it's completely fine if you're going to be the guy that says, I'm going to trade a first off for Ridley. Like at that point, I, I don't agree with it with the the level of talent that's going in that range. I would much rather use that first somewhere else than get this re- replaceable wide receiver talent. Like if I could go take that one eleven, I'm trading for Ridley and draft a running back, draft a quarterback, draft whatever, and then go pick up, I don't know, Juju 
off waivers or trade for him on a on a cheaper deal. I'd yeah. be so much more happier doing that. So, like, as much as it's easy to debate Ridley, and it's very easy to go on and target groups that are going, Ridley's going to have 1,400 yards this year. We, we can play that with anyone at that point. Sure. I mean, we can scroll down the middle of this list here. I have keep trade cut open and say that about every player within five yeah. weeks of Ridley. See, that's, that's where I, I said back. I actually, I don't fine. think that we can do that. I think, I think we look at it. Look, I, I think there's, there's a massive morass of wide receivers after that cutoff. I think, I don't know. I think last I checked, I thought it was at 14 and you can, I don't know, quibble with one or two on the either side, if you like. Sure. But I, I look at it at that, at that morass. I'm like, based on what we know about these players or what we don't know about these players, you know, first of all, what's driving this cost more, what we do know or what we don't know. I want to bet on the players and we get into this range on the players where what's driving their range is what we don't know about the players, right? The ones where we do know more about the players because we've seen them play every year and they've played several years. What we know is that it's probably pretty unlikely that they're all of a sudden going to be that superstar guy, right? Who do, to, to me, if I put myself in the spot, say who of these players is the most likely to be a guy that we're putting in the round four of startups by week four and having a segment about on this show of how high is too high to rank X. To me, it's the guys coming off a rookie season like Burks and Christian Watson and, you know, not as quite as bullish on them, but Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, Jameson Williams, etc. And And then I would look at, okay, who is the other guy with that most level of uncertainty that's driving their price further down from its ceiling. To me, it's the guy who hasn't played football in a year and a half. So I, I find that like the Ridley bet in terms of who's more likely to put up that massive ceiling, I think it is more likely to be him than it is to be your Terry McLaurin or your Brandon Ayuk or your Jerry Judy or your all, all these other different guys. Uh, like, and I think that's completely fine. But that that's my point is if you think that's more likely, I, I don't see a reason for me to waste the time and debate you on whether I think Ridley's going to have 1,400 yards or not, because I think some three other guys in that range might have that. So at what point is it worth it for me to debate you on Ridley when I view three other guys the exact same in that range? And I think that's just what the wide receiver position is. Like, run down the list. Pittman, QB replacement. DJ Moore, QB replacement. Terry McLaurin, QB replay. Like, you could just keep going. And all of them, you could go, well, I see a path where they become the superstar wide receiver. Marquise Brown, Christian Kirk, we're on the same team. Deontay Johnson, less. Amari Cooper, full year of Deshaun Watson. Rashad Bateman, he's the only guy there. Calvin Ridley, we're talking about him. Mike Evans, bounce back. Like, it's at this point, when we're in this range, I feel like so, so much more, it's just becoming, pick your guy here, because there's 70 usable wide receivers in fantasy. Sure. And less than that are going to be used on each team week to week. So why is it more important for me to pick my guy here and debate that when I think that value is better spent somewhere else where there's less replaceable talent? So let me quick summarize. We all love his ADP right now. That's fine. We like his ADP for different reasons, <laughs> and that's important. And my expectations right now are hella low. So, and your guys, uh, what I read is Jacob's expectation is rose, rose-colored glasses, and Billy's is 
doesn't particularly matter as much one way or the other. And I, think I wouldn't that's say that my expectation is rose-colored glasses. I think it's the same thing that I said like about you. Purdy, which is that I don't give a shit about anybody else in this range. Sure. Like, and yeah, that's like where I, my I care. issue is. I think that my issue is like we're, if we're weighing ceiling versus floor, Yeah, I don't give a fuck about floor. So I, the only right. thing I'm looking at is ceiling. Correct. So that like that's I mean that changed. If his ADP was in round four, I'd, I'd care a lot more about floor. But to me, I'm strictly looking at it through a ceiling lens. And yeah, I mean, maybe my glasses are more rose colored in terms of the ceiling, but I, I just think he's demonstrated more than a ceiling, a more of a ceiling than most of the other players in his range. So the guys that I'm looking at in the range are either the ones like him who've demonstrated a massive ceiling or the guys who are really, really young and we wouldn't have expected to have demonstrated any sort of ceiling yet. Yeah, I, I think that's a completely fine take. Like there, in this range, when you're looking at wide receiver 20 down to wide receiver Okay, I just did the math. 42. If you told me any of those guys in that range was your wide receiver 20, I don't think I'd waste breath debating you on it. Because, sure, why not? Like, at, at that point, all these guys in this range are very similar. So if you like Ridley for those reasons, go draft him. Go draft mm-hmm. him at the wide receiver 20. Because I- that bet is just about as good as anyone else here. Like so, if if Calvin Ridley walks out, we'll end we'll end Ridley on this one. Um, if Calvin Ridley walks out, he hasn't played in a bit. You've traded pick 110, 111 for Calvin Ridley. He comes out with 130 targets for let's say 92 receptions. We'll say 950 yards and six touchdowns. Are you happy with that? You're like locked in. That's pretty that's, low on the on the receptions and touchdowns side. I'm just or, I'm, sorry, I'm the just, receiving yards and touchdowns side of things. I just yeah, want to account for like all possibilities. If that was his season, yeah. are we unhappy with just under a thousand yards, maybe around ninety catches, and let's say six to seven touchdowns? What was the? No, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be happy with that. I mean, that's like a yards per. Like, target, is that like optimistic? Seven. Like, that's what I. So, I th- um, I think that that target total and reception total is pretty reasonable. And I think that the yards and the touchdowns are probably pretty low based on that target and reception total. Uh, sorry, I just have to respond to an email right quick. Jesus Christ. No worries. Very, uh, very no, I would, very I would not be thrilled by that. I mean, I, I'm so, not going to be – but that's, my, I don't I'm not expecting that's... to be thrilled. I'm not expecting to be thrilled by anything. Okay, so that's that's important to know. Like when I give like a stat line – that's very close to Zay Jones' stat line, by the way. That's why I was asking because that's roughly around 13 to 13 and a half points per game. I think that would be a catastrophic failure for where I see his ADP going. By now – sell later if it gets if it gets high enough is i think fine i just wanted to point out that i think the reasons for it uh the the like eternal optimism i think are um um misguided uh that was that's that's why i wanted to talk about it we went a little harder on that than i thought we would yeah we're gonna my stance, I think I, I'm, I'm fine buying ridley i'm not doing it for what i expect to happen i'm doing it because i think that there's a chance and i don't know what chance 20 percent, 10 percent. i don't know but i think it's more i think that it's a higher percentage of his outcomes that he gets 170 targets 120 catches 1600 yards and 12 touchdowns than most of the other guys i don't expect that to happen but if you were to say who's more likely to do that calvin ridley or x wide receiver in that range with exception of some of the guys going into year two, I'm, I'm taking Ridley. But I'm not saying like that's going to expect it guaranteed. I'm buying it at any cost, or whatever. But I think that that is more plausible 
than most. So I'd be disappointed with what you said, but it wouldn't surprise me. But I expect sure. I expect that that's going to be what happens with most of these wide receivers as a as a usable and mostly disappointing result. Sure, exactly. we'll revisit we'll revisit this when his ADP inevitably climbs into the fourth round. As soon as we see one workout video, we will uh, we'll come back to. It. We're gonna take a quick break. We will come back. We're gonna briefly touch on Tony Pollard post injury. I just mostly want to hear Jacob's take on this because of your whole conversation about that I think was very good. So I'll let you kind of recap that convo and what to take out of that because you are the Tony Pollard uh, cultist on this program. So I think it just makes sense. So sit tight. We're gonna take a quick eight second break. We come back. Jacob is going to break down his a little bit of Tony Pollard, and we're getting into rookie picks before we get out of here. Make sure we get Jacob to class on time. Sit tight. So, Jacob, you are on the Bird app doing your thing, uh, discussing Tony Pollard with uh, another member of the Bulletproof uh, Discord analyst team about why Tony Pollard's value uh is is not taking as big a hit as you feel like uh was being talked about so just want can you briefly touch up on that conversation and what it might mean for tony pollard in 2023 well like usual um i think it sort of that conversation if anybody uh, wants to look it up i was talking to david gotieri about he posted it to a tweet that said um tony pollard's injury is why you shouldn't be buying or shouldn't have been buying mid-tier running backs in the middle of the playoffs. And maybe you could even expand this out to just say you shouldn't be buying mid-tier running backs with, you know, a lot of unknown set of circumstances because if bad things happen, they end up going down in value. And, and his follow-up tweet was, you know, wouldn't you have been happier if you had been drafting George Pickens or Brandon Ayuk or a similar wide receiver in that range instead? And I guess what I would say is I have two sources of disagreement on that that are entirely separate, one related 100%. to Pollard and one entirely unrelated to Pollard. Um, the Pollard take is that, well, I would just way rather have Tony Pollard than Brandon Ayuk or George Pickens. And on this stance, if someone was to say, okay, here's the reasons why I'd rather have Brandon Ayuk or George Pickens and Tony Pollard, I would say, okay, cool. And that's kind of the end of the discussion, I, I guess, yeah. from that <laughs> standpoint, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to fight all long day about that. Um, you know, why, do, why would I rather have Tony Pollard? Well, honestly, I guess kind of similar to the discussion I had about Calvin Ridley, which is that I think that there's a lot of wide receivers that have a decent amount of value in dynasty, mostly because they're young and not particularly because they're all that exciting or good. And I don't really value having a wide receiver two or wide receiver three on my roster for a long time. I value ceiling at the wide receiver position and same with the running back position, because there's a lot of replaceability at those positions while that security at like quarterback matters a lot more based on the positional scarcity implied in, in the format. So why would I rather have Pollard than Brandon Ayuk and George Pickens? Because I think that it's a lot more likely that he scores in the elite range of points per game next year than those guys. He borderline did it this year, playing half the snaps on the Cowboys, right? And there's a pretty decent chance that he signs in a spot where he plays a lot more than half the snaps. And based on what we've seen out of Pollard the last two years in a complimentary role, where he's been top five in rush yards over expected, PFF receiving grade, you know, this is a guy who has a lot of talent. He has a lot of talent in the pass game and the run game. And do we know how much of that efficiency is going to translate to a large role? Not particularly. Do we know he's going to get a large role? Not particularly. But on the chance that those things hit, you know, we're talking about a massive, massive ceiling. And that to me is a more likely ceiling than we're going to get out of uh, the two that were dropped, Pickens and Ayuk, but not to pick on them. I'm sure if you name drop 10 other wide receivers so, in the same ADP range, I'd feel the same. 
I was actually going to ask you then, even with his injury, which could definitely affect his cap situation, because I don't know, maybe that prices him in a spot where he feels he needs to resign with Dallas. I think he's going back to the Cowboys on the tag for for what it's worth, and I yeah, think that's I, a yeah. scenario also. I do too, uh, and I think with uh, Zeke already talking about taking a pay cut to stay, I think he sees twenty twenty three no matter what is his last year with the Cowboys because his is out for the money is very good in twenty twenty four. But I just want to ask then, even injury, because the conversation was you shouldn't have been buying during the playoffs. Uh, this, yeah, this ADP is, agree with more. is a week in. So I want to ask you then, Tony Pollard was going around 5'10 at the RB14. Before him, uh, so you can stop me from this point on where you would take the other player uh, before Pollard. Stop me here. Uh, Christian Watson. Yeah, I'd take him before Pollard, yeah. Okay, Debo Samuel. Um, uh, probably that's like, I don't know, a toss up. I don't have a particularly strong feeling. I mildly prefer Pollard, I guess. Okay. Chris Godwin. Um, probably prefer Pollard. Yeah. But okay. that's toss up. Michael Pittman Jr. Definitely Pollard. Okay. Those four went right before him. And then you've got after him, Jameson Williams. Um, that that's again, more of a toss up, but I do prefer Pollard. George Kittle. That I Kittle, but you know I feel about okay. Tight. I do. That's why I had to ask. Joe Mixon. I'll take Pollard. One hundred eight. I'll take the one hundred eight. Derrick Henry. I'll take Pollard. And then Pickens, Burks, and Judy. I'll take Burks, but I would take Pollard over the other two. Okay, so like those are the players, not quarterbacks, going within a round of. Tony Pollard. So I think that it's interesting that even with rookie and uncertainty, you're still looking to target that. So I, I don't I know if anyone like has a pattern in there, but <laughs> I'm taking the rookie wide receivers, the rookie pick, and the tight end. And then I'm not oh, taking any of the other players. <laughs> sophomore <laughs> wide receivers now, the rookie picks. That's and true. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. I love that. Uh, Billy, anything to add before we move on to these rookie picks? The meat that people really need to know about. No, I, I think it's completely. Be- Valid. I think it sucks that Pollard. I mean, yeah, what a dirty ass hurt. tackle too. It's fucking brutal. Uh, that that was. I couldn't believe when it first came out. They said it was a sprain. When yeah. I saw that, I thought there was no chance in the you world. You could see it break too when you yeah, really slow it down, yeah. which is gross. But yeah, I I think Pollard is completely good value wise. He's still young. He's going to have a good chance at becoming like a significant significant talent and he looks like one of the best talents in the league so i remember in your league billy uh the the i think for clan 55 or whatever i tried to get pollard off you and like two years ago and you're like no nah, one day he'll start and i was like no he won't trade him to me as a as a handcuff and you yeeted me and it's 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 worked for you so congratulations you jackass can, can one that league I want to touch on though quickly the part that I disagree with David more. Like I, I only care what player takes to a certain extent, or, or at least like I have player takes obviously, but I'm not going to argue until I'm blue in the face. Like I just have no, I have no like desire. Like, well, until you're red in the face for sure, like, as happened on the show many like, times. I like IU more than Pickin, or I like IU more than Pollard. I'd be like, okay, you know, we one line each, whatever. I don't feel all that passionately about it. Uh, people prefer different things in players. I guess my larger point was this issue about the market value, where he was like. If yes. you took Pollard ahead of Ayuk or Pickens, and then Pollard ends up dipping below those guys in ADP, that's a mistake. Like, and, and I think that, that that was the part that I take more exception with. And you could insert any players into these scenarios. You could just, just call Pollard player X and the other guys player Y, 
to me, the idea, like, first of all, the injury that happened was not likely. Um, now, you could forecast this out to a broader set of events that basically just says you should try to avoid taking players who you think have an outsized chance of falling more in ADP than others. And to an extent, I see the appeal of that, you know, maybe within a, a really close scenario where you're kind of on the fence. But I think that the market analysis in fantasy football being elevated is largely good. I think I made this point before, but I think that there are a lot of dangers that come down to this idea that playing dynasty fantasy football is a currency exchange and where the only thing that matters is players rising in value or lowering in value. I mean, you have to look at it in some way. It's like, okay, if you bet the Cincinnati Bengals this week when they were plus two, well, now they're minus two. Good for you. You got closing line value, right? They lose by 14. Doesn't matter, right? I'm sorry, but, but for that to matter, it's still, they have something to win the freaking game, right? <laughs> so I I get that there's that closing line value matters. Yes. I get the currency matters. The reality is, is in the market, when you buy a stock and then it goes <laughs> up, then you just get to sell it. You get to decide when you sell it, right? You yeah. don't actually get to decide that in Dynasty. You have to get one of the other 11 managers to make a trade with you twice, Right, you have to acquire the player, then you have to sell the player. And th- the reality is, people say, "Well, dynasties." Some people, echoing a similar view that I'm echoing, will say, "Yeah, but dynasties not like the economy. You can't just, you know, it's not just a market. It's not exactly the same." I think it actually is the same. The actual economic market is not as liquid as they teach you in your economics class. There are actual <laughs> costs. Number one, there's usually transaction fees, right? You just have to pay something whenever you make right. a transaction that goes to the government. Just some of it goes to the bank, some of it goes to your accountant, whatever. You also have um, sticky prices, right? Sticky prices, it's market lag. It's when economic conditions change, the actual prices that actual firms charge for an apple or a potato or a car, whatever, they don't change all at the same rate. Sometimes they stick and then they get adjusted really quick and then they stick. There's no like inflation ticker on the apples at your local grocery store that moves it up by two cents one day and three cents the next and then goes down by one cent. It doesn't work that way. Right. You also have the issue of implicit overvaluation of your own assets. This applies in Dynasty especially, but anywhere in the world where there is a sense of voting with your feet. If you are in a league trying to trade for any player, most of the time, the person who already rosters that player probably is one of the people that is highest on that player in any league. That's why they roster them, right? Unless the person just came into an orphan team. But for the most part, the players on my roster, I'm probably higher than most of the league on those players. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten them in the first place or I would have traded them by now, right? right. <laughs> Probably there's there's some players I'm sure on every team I'm looking to sell. Most of the players I have, I'm not looking to sell at market cost. I would probably want a little bit above market cost because I probably like them more than the market, right? There's all these different issues. You need to find someone who's willing to pay at market cost and is willing to give you something that you actually want at market cost in order to take advantage of you having a slightly more valuable asset to the point where I just don't think that we should be trying to time the market. I think we should be trying to beat the market. And in order to beat the market, you have to be able to have some sort of stance, in my opinion, of when is the market wrong, right? Like if you're saying that the, that all that matters is what the market is on every player, the market's always correct on every player because you're just raising up value. How do you ever beat the yeah. market? if you're making your decisions based on the market always being correct, right? Like you have to right. crack margins somewhere. So anyhow, that's my issue with this is that I, I don't think that we should necessarily be doing that. I think that we, we, I think we should use the market in a way where we're not paying massively above cost, right? Where we look at it, however many teams you have and you say, look, 
I'm not going to pay. If I think player X is worth 5,000, I'll just phrase this in terms of like KTC points. Because sure. As that site is, it actually does illustrate things decently. If I think that this player is worth 5,000 KTC points, but his actual macro KTC value is 4,000, and a guy asks me to pay 4,800, well, I'm not going to pay it because, you know, I shouldn't have to pay that much. If I'm paying that much, I'm valuing above the ceiling. It's going to be harder to resell. I'm not going to get as much advantage from it. I agree with that in the sense of caring about the market. But if there's a player who's worth 4,000, a player who's worth 4,200, and I have to pick one of them in a startup, I'm not just picking the 4,200 one every time. I'm going to pick the player I actually want because you don't know when you're going to sell the other guys. So yeah. I think it's one thing about avoiding paying too much when you're acquiring players. You know, should you, and I don't think you should be selling guys massively below market. But I don't think that you should just be forming out all of your ideas about who you actually want to roster to whatever the market value is. That's that's my rant on it. I find that interesting because you only deal in um, when doing trades with you. You want market value when you're selling. So I think it's important to to note the difference between in a startup what the difference is, what you when you'll be willing to acquire below and what's even, et cetera, and then uh, how to sell at market at least. Uh, four players. I find that an interesting. What I care um, about the market is about the what, right? Like I care. The market to me should determine what I want to sell players I want to sell for and buy players mm-hmm. I want to buy for. But yep. it doesn't determine who I buy and who I sell, right? It does right. in the sense that, okay, it does. It does in the sense that how I determine who I want to buy and who I want to sell is generally who I'm higher on or lower than on the market. Yeah. But if I approach someone, you know, and I want to buy Pollard, I want to buy Pollard. If they come out and say, well. Pollard's worth 4,500 KTC points, but have you considered running back Y that's worth 4,400 KTC points? It depends on who running back Y is. They may want yeah. them, they don't want them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it determines at what cost I want to buy a player that I already want or sell a player yeah. that I don't want. And whether I want to sell or buy players depends on the market. But I don't I don't view all players at the same market value as equal, is what I'm is what I'm saying in terms of actually making those transactions. I think that's a distinction. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that's why I wanted to point out that there is a difference between market to selling, market to buying, and then market and startup. Those are three very different things. When P- I think when people hear, oh, price by the market or buy by the market, sell by the market, etc., it's a very um, – they're just assuming it's all lumped in together. So I felt that's why I really wanted to touch on uh, how it differentiates from one another and how they, they all – all three scenarios have circumstances attached to it. So – we're going to take a quick break because uh, we've been talking for a while again. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to value these middle round rookie picks uh, and then get out of here. So sit tight. Okay. Keeping in mind uh, what the time frame is, which I believe is uh, 7.30. So we've got about 15 minutes here, if I'm not mistaken. Uh because we went real hard and you know what we'll touch on it again next week we can carry it over that's within our powers uh uh, to do as we've got a couple shows left for the super bowl i feel like and i i just want to start off with this i feel like middle round first round picks this year are less valued they're undervalued compared to other years because it just feels like a jumbled mess from one after one four because the the top four i think we're all pretty locked it's Bijan, young stroud and gibbs and you're gonna have like the randomness of 
random people coming in and out, picking random players. Sometimes we will probably see a Will Levis at one, two somewhere, right? Uh, Variants exist, but I feel like this year it's kind of questionable after that one, four. So five, six, seven, and eight, I feel like are in a very weird position and going off of this uh, chart from a Dyko where 108 is kind of going is like Joe Mixon, Derek Henry, like that feels that feels cheaper than previous years for aging running backs to be going for these 108, 107, 106 picks. That almost never happens, I feel like. So I just wanted to get some uh, feedback from you guys on how you're valuing it compared to the draft market taking uh, bringing it over from the last conversation on these picks and where you stand early in the pro it's very early in the process so early in the process yeah um i think a lot of times when we bring in new analytics into a situation there kind of becomes this sort of min maxing situation when it comes to approaching uh fantasy sports and a lot this is very common elsewhere where once we get more data we start finding optimized ways to approach stuff and it seems like the the latest one is this and you could say this is developed the last five years last 10 years whatever you want to say but the the kind of trend that's been developing is sell off everything and build young it feels like a lot more often you're seeing a lot of these guys who are going well henry probably you know a couple years ago would have been well henry was on pace for a pretty good year and he's still the running back for the titans they're paying a lot so we should keep henry because he's going to be consistent and now it's well henry's well past the aj packs he's carried a lot more than any running back probably should in his lifetime. And because of that, we should probably be preparing for him to decrease his yearly production moving forward. Right. And because of that, now everyone is starting to go about shipping off Henry and getting these earlier picks because these earlier picks slowly produce moving forward. And because of that, we could see all this good news with these younger picks. And, the thing is when everyone kind of does that, it kind of, it, it's like Moneyball almost. Moneyball, everyone kind of figured out this optimal way to run a team for uh, cheap. And when everyone was doing it, all of a sudden Moneyball didn't work anymore because mm. it's like this optimized regime where a lot of things work really well. But when everyone's doing it, everyone has a smaller share of what works really well. So when, when I'm looking at how I want to value these rookie picks, a lot of times I want to take it on a team-by-team basis, and I want to approach it as how do I want to build my team right now? Because the, the flip side of this is one of the things that with these picks now being valued for more, you can get more year-to-year production by flipping these picks. So it, it might suck because, you know, you might run into that situation down the line where you're stuck holding the bag. You took Derrick Henry, and you know what? He got you 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns this year, and that was great. It took you to the quarterfinals in your league, and you didn't win, 
and now you're stuck holding the bag on Henry. But a lot of times that 108 a couple of years ago was not something you were able to flip for that level of production straight. Mm-hmm. I remember we had starting leagues when we all first kind of got together where me and Tom Lee were moving guys like Henry, guys like Zeke, who probably were in the similar range a couple of years ago and are just kind of staying there because of their continued production year to year. We were flipping them for the 101 straight and just calling it a day. And that 101 turned into probably at the time Burrow, maybe someone else. I can't sure. what who it is off the top of my head. But like uh, commonly Clyde Edwards Lair. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes Joe sometimes Joe Burrow or Jonathan Taylor. Unfortunately. But like that that is kind of where I'm seeing this is a pick now can get you more production next year if you flip it correctly. Yeah. Because people are valuing those picks more. I just feel like the specific mid-round first this year are being valued less. So specifically 1-5-1-6-1-7-1-8. And I I think that's similar to what we saw last year. Just last year it was after Brees Hall, the 102 to the 106, I want to say it was, felt like the exact same pick because you Mm kind of just – Brees Hall, then whatever your order was. Jacob's jumping at the bit here. I unfortunately haven't looked at it enough to be able to comment on specifically just the five to eight range versus previous years. But I I can say that when you aggregate the whole of the ADP of the first round picks over the last several years, it's not perfectly linear because the assessment of the strength of the class, of course, changes year to year. But we have seen over a five-year stretch a definite trend to increased valuation of rookie picks as they come in on rookies. And I don't know how we'll switch this year. I do think though that the five to eight is definitely a perceived teardrop right now relative to the one through four for sure. And you're, you're seeing a change there. I think that, I think that it makes sense intellectually as to why. Um, but I do think that there's an opportunity to buy those picks right now which is early on, I thought in the process, you know, when we were looking like maybe before this has sort of caught on. I was like, yeah, that four looks like it's going to be kind of a tier. And I still do believe that it's a tier, but I do think what gets tricky is people are not sure who they're going to be getting in this range. And in particular at running back, if you look on Twitter and you try to look at everybody's running back rankings, you'll see is Bijan Robinson one, Jameer Gibbs two, and everybody has their own pet project at RB three, Right seems like there's not really a lot of consensus there add in that you don't know who anybody's going to get in terms of the draft capital and it gets even scarier right especially for a lot of people quite frankly who probably put more emphasis on which specific running backs they prefer than i would if you're a guy where you're like i really like sean tucker sean tucker's my rb3 okay now you want the 106 if sean tucker goes around two to a good spot but if sean tucker goes around four you might not want the 106 anymore way I'm trying to look at it is like, oh, like, a lot of these running backs, I have slight preferences towards one or another after the first two. Not really massive ones, right? I think there's at least four that I would consider to be potential NFL bell cow type running backs, being Evans, Tucker, Charbonnet, and, and Bigsby. And I have my preferences. End of the day, whatever. A couple of those guys are probably going to get pretty good draft capital landing spots. A couple of those guys probably aren't. I don't really know exactly which ones and how many. But when that all gets sorted out and people actually get to feel more comfortable about 
thinking they're, they're 106 is an actual dude who plays a position on a specific team and can envision the fit and everything, I think you'll start to see a little bit more universal excitement about those picks. So I, I think this is a good time to get those. I think that right now the uncertainty of those positions works to mostly our benefit because people are a little scared after the one four. And I think that, you know, you're going to lose some guys along the way, right? You know, yeah. you think that we are going to get a decent draft capital landing spot combo on enough of those running backs and, you know, probably at least one of Levis or Richardson, if not both, that that tier is going to start to extend out a little bit where you're going to okay. see that as first four. And then someone's going to be like, oh, insert wide receiver of the top three, QJ, Addison, um, uh, JSN. Uh, one of them's going to get a great landing spot. People are going to be excited, and that's going to yeah. be the, the presumptive wide receiver one, right? Right now, it's kind of a tier. Well, it won't be anymore because someone's going to go to the freaking yep. Chiefs or something like that, right? <laughs> and it's going to be the same thing with the running backs. And so I think you'll see more of a separation where right now people look at it and it's like, man, what's the difference between 1.6 and 1.11? And right, but I don't think that'll always be the case. And then maybe it'll even be the case where we come back here in May and say, hey, that's artificial, you know, just mm. because this guy's spot's better. You should trade back from the 1.6 to 1.11, but all that's kind of a fluctuation. So I, I don't mind buying in while it's uncertain right now. Sure. And I feel like that's the perfect way to put it and the perfect way to cap off the whole program is that right now, I think that the uncertainty makes it feel a little bit more, uh, um, again, uncertain and spread out where I think you're right. The more we delve into it and get into like our specific rookie breakdown, even I think you'll see a little bit more clarity and people more willing to hold the bag of those picks. I think that was a great way to put it. It's been a phenomenal show. We've got about an hour and 20 in the books. We love it. We're starting earlier. Jacob, final thoughts before we get out of here? Not fun times. I'm going to be on Twitter Spaces tomorrow at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time with um, Nelly uh, at Analytics and Noah Hills. We're going to be talking about Dynasty running back landscape. So if anybody else wants to come in and join, feel free. You can can chat with us about that. Um, And, yeah, then uh, we'll we'll be on a – Otherwise, uh, you know, if people saw my Twitter announcement um, that uh, I'm no longer writing with Player Profiler, I just want to show this thank you to Matt, Josh, Cody, um, Dario, uh, Seth, everybody really who I worked with over the time at Player Profiler. It was a really great experience um, going into last year of law school now, and, and I'll start articling by the time that we're back here next season. Uh, just the type of work that I can do in the fantasy space has to change a little bit in terms of how much time I can commit and specifically sort of when I can commit. And it's harder to do live shows and articles with weekly deadlines and that stuff. And um, that's it. Um, love the guys over there. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll still be doing some writing and stuff uh, that I'll have to let you guys know of later. But definitely just wanted to give a shout out to everybody that was part of my time at Player Profile. I really enjoyed it. 100%. And no, Jacob's not leaving. I've gotten that question so many times. He's stuck with me and Billy, whether he fucking likes it or not. Um, yeah, I can say this with actual certainty is that um, for for several years, I've been, oh, not for several years, but basically since my time in the started really in the fantasy space, I've been doing at least two live shows. Got up to the point where I was doing three live shows uh, per insane. week. Insane. This, this will be the only live show that I will be doing um, <laughs> in the 2023 fantasy season i will be doing other podcasts most likely but they will be recorded <laughs> this, yeah. this will be the only time you see me live live kings big big billy final thoughts before we get out of here yeah i i think um i i think it's important to take a lot of discussion and fantasy with your own preferences on players into 
into hand. Um, but beyond that, um, I apologize that I'm going to be dark the next couple months. It's going to be a busy, busy time for me. Uh, as Jacob said, same with him. Um, but Hey, I will do my best to always respond to sleeper and Twitter DMS. Yep. That's all. That's all you could do. Uh, we're growing. Uh, it's been phenomenal. We do have a break coming up because, by God, we need it. We will be pumping content out during that break post Super Bowl. It just be a little bit different, all recorded, not live, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I do my final thoughts. I want to shout out former Toronto Blue Jay uh, third baseman Scott Rowland for his induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He should go in as a Blue Jay. <laughs> I was going to uh, say famously remembered as a Blue Jay. Famously remembered for a season and a half as a Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, I'm obviously a huge baseball fan. It's around the corner. So Scott Rowland, shout out. Also, Johnny Peralta got absolutely robbed. Aside from that, stay active in your leagues. Enjoy your drafts. Remember that Full Tilt will have a ton of drafts. We've already got two finishing up from Full Tilt alone. We will have more. We've got some auction. We've got some different stuff happening. Uh, keep keep in touch. We have so many giveaways. Uh, we just announced the giveaway, the Debo Samuel jersey winner which is uh, our boy Shuey, former uh, uh, fellow Ravens fan, has won the Debo Samuel jersey. We've given away two Jackson Smith and Jigba mini helmets that were signed. We have given away a James Cook signed jersey, and we have so much more from Zay Flowers mini helmets to you name it, man. We've got everything for you guys. We can't wait. The belt is officially on the way from Trophy Smack. You're going to want to stay in touch. We're growing, and we couldn't do it without you. So remember, that clear eyes, full hearts can never lose, and your best days, they're always spent tilting. Good night, everyone.